Morning, brothers and sisters. It's good to see everyone here today. My clock says it's only 8.45, so I've got quite a bit of time here to preach. Um, You laugh. Let's turn our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Remember the first three chapters, we have been told what God has done for us in chapter 1. He's told us our condition in chapter 2 and what Christ has done by making us alive in him. And he's talked about the fact that he's made these two people, the Gentiles and the Jews, one. He's carried that on into chapter 3. And now he's beginning to talk about the importance of the unity of the body and what's the result of all these truths that have been said to us. Uh, And we get to, we just come off the passage dealing with God has given some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry to mature the body. And now he gets into this new life that we have been called to live. This week we're going to look at who we are in Christ. This is really, really, really important if we are going to become like Christ. Uh, What keeps us from Becoming like Christ is false ideas, false thinking that we still hold on to, and it keeps us from becoming what he wants us to be. So today we're going to talk about our identity in Christ, and next week we're going to talk about how we must now live. As a result of who we now are, that will change the way we now live. Ephesians 4 17 through 24. This is Paul speaking to the Ephesian church. Now this I I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, And is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. In true righteousness and holiness. When we become believers in Christ. We are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We are declared righteous before God. And now we are called to begin to live a different kind of way. Uniforms make a lot of difference in people, not just because they're wearing a uniform, but because it says says who they are and what their responsibility is. When a soldier or a policeman or a fireman put their new uniform on, they are taking on what? New responsibilities because they now have a new what? Identity. I'm now a soldier. I'm now a fireman. I'm now a policeman. And my uniform shows that I'm different than I was before. I now have gone through all this training. I've been equipped. And now I'm carrying out a new function within the society in which we live. 
We see this in sports. Um, we think of sports players who play for one team and they wear their uniform and they're loyal to that one uniform and that one team and they play for them. And I think most recently we had LeBron James, who's a very excellent basketball player in the NBA. He played for a while with, for the Miami Heat. And then one day he signed a contract with the Cleveland Cavaliers and he no longer played for Miami. He now changed over. He was now committed and loyal and, and uh, pushing toward uh, the success of a new team. When we put on Christ, we receive a new spiritual identity and new corresponding responsibilities. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Paul tells us you have put off the old self with the practices and have put on the new self. What's he talking about there? Is he talking about that we just need to get rid of some things in our life that are bad? No, what he's saying here is when we come to faith in Jesus, when we believe in him and we repent of our sins, we, an event in the past, put off the old man and we put on the new man. Our conversion does something amazing. It's not just agreeing with some principles. It's not just believing Jesus did these things. It's not just a, a decision we make in our mind that doesn't change us. There's something that happens to us when we hear the gospel of Christ, when we're convicted of our sins, when we put our complete trust in Christ and we repent of our sins. The Bible says we are a new creation in Christ. He tells us that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Romans 13, 12 through 14, he says, Let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a reality in which we have the righteousness of Christ because we've been declared righteous. When we put our faith in Christ, God declares us righteous. All that Jesus did that Cody talked about last week has applied to our account. His receiving the wrath of God is credited to our account. And our account now says paid in full. We are now somebody different than we were before. Now we have to begin to what? Live that out in a very real way. Galatians 3.27, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ like a garment. Paul says, I'm no, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but what? Christ lives in me. Christ comes to dwell within us by the power of his spirit. We are different than we were before we repented and believed. That truth is really important for us to get a hold of if we are to become more like Christ. We still see sinful tendencies in our lives and Satan comes to accuse us and tell us that nothing really has happened to us and we find ourselves just kind of in this state where we're not really becoming like Christ and we're believing these lies that come from the wicked one. So he tells us here in this passage, number one, do not live like a pagan. 
He says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. But notice what he says to begin with. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord in verse 17. He says, I'm saying this and I'm testifying by the authority of Christ. I'm telling you, Ephesians, you must no longer walk this way. What does that tell us? Some of them were still walking in the ways of the what? Gentiles. They were walking in the ways of pagans. They were looking like the world. But they were what? They were different people, but they were still acting as if they were the same old person they had been. And Paul gives this strong admonition. He says, you better not. He says what? You must not any longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. And he goes on, as Bob went into last, last time we were here, or last time he preached, on what does it look like to be an unbeliever? We see the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardness of their heart. They become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. This is the result of the fall. When God made man in the garden, he made him in his image that he could relate with God, that he would be connected to God. And we see that Jesus, that God walked with Adam in the cool of the evening in the garden. And they had this relationship that was going on. With the fall, with believing Satan's lie, man, his mind became futile. His understanding was darkened. He was separated from the life of God because of his own ignorance and the ignorance came from what? A hard heart. The more the truth of God was shared because they were fallen, the harder the heart got. When God hardens people, all he has to do is reveal himself. If you are a person who is, uh, and everyone is, um, affected by the result of the fall, the more revelation you get, the harder your heart gets. It's like taking a piece of clay and putting it out in the Texas sun. The more revelation of the sun on that piece of clay, the harder it gets. And the only thing that changes that is that the Spirit of God works in the heart of a person to take away a heart of stone and put in a heart of what? Flesh. And we are made right with him. They become callous. And they've given themselves up to sensuality. And we see that more and more and more in our culture, don't we? There's more sin. And it's to greater levels and greater extents. And it just continues. And you think, well, we finally reached the edge. We can't go any farther than this. And oh, yes, we can. We just keep on moving deeper and deeper. And we feel like we're in Genesis 6 where the Bible says all their heart is continually on evil what? all the time. This is the natural product of what happens to man. And he says, you cannot live this way. Why? Because something radical has happened to you. You have been changed by Christ. You are a new creation in Christ. And you cannot live this way any longer. You must be changed. If we go back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, we read this. He's talking to them. And notice what he says, and notice the tenses of the, of the words. That's really important. Verse 2, chapter 2, verse 1. And you were, past tense, dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, once walked, 
Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among them we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were, past tense, by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Then he says this in verse 10. For we, not were, we what? We are his what? Workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That's another way of saying you are a new creation created by Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're different people. We have been changed by the grace of God. If you have trusted Christ and if you've repented of your sin, by the work of the Spirit of God within you, you are no longer who you used to be. Do we still have some old clothes we wear? We sure do. But we are, we have a new identity. We are now, we now belong to Christ. Johnny Cash's first song that he wrote that was a number one hit was called I Walk the Line. He wrote it backstage just after being married to, as a pledge of devotion to his wife. It goes kind of like this. Since you've been mine, I walk the line. Oh, I admit I'm a fool for you. Since you've been mine, I walk the line. What's he saying? Now that I have made this commitment in marriage to you, there's a line I'm going to walk. I'm going to be a different person. Other, other women are not open to me. Only what? Only you. I walk this line because I'm now, I'm now married. I'm now Mr. Cash, and you are now Mrs. Cash. And there's now a difference in how I walk. In Ephesians 4.1, we see the same kind of language. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. You have been called to be Christ's. You've been called to become like Jesus. Therefore, Paul says in 4, I urge you to walk consistently with now who you are. Have you ever seen somebody act different than they used to be? And you say something to them, you're not acting like you used to be. This this is not consistent with who I know you to be. I know you to be like this, but now you're living like this. What's the deal? Well, we used to be enslaved to sin, in darkness, in ignorance, in futility of mind, going after the foolish things of the world, but we have been changed by Christ if we know him personally. This futility of mind is an aiming with silly, foolish methods at a meaningless and foolish goal. This is what unbelievers do their life is filled with pursuing 
foolish methods toward a foolish goal. They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from God because of the ignorance that's in them. They don't understand God. They don't seek God. They don't know God. They make proud statements about why God doesn't exist because they're alienated from him due to the hardness of their heart. Let's look at Romans 1. This is another similar passage to this. In Romans 1, you'll remember, we're told in verse 18, we're told in verse 17, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The righteous shall live by faith. So we have people who are righteous because they're living by faith in Jesus. Then he contrasts it in verse 18 the following with those who don't follow Jesus. And we see very similar language here that we see in Ephesians 4. It's for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So God's, God is plain to them. He has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are what? Without excuse. But we're told over here in four that they are what? They have a futility of mind. They are darkened in their understanding. They have calloused hearts. And they are alienated from God. It's not God's fault. God has revealed himself to them. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. You can just think of a lot of people that comes to mind, isn't it? People in academia who have such credentials and yet deny the existence of God. And they claim to be so wise, and yet the Bible says they, are, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them over to the lust of their heart, to impurity, and to dishonoring their bodies among themselves. And they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. And he goes on, and their, their relationship got more degraded and more degraded and more degraded. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, they're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That is who we used to be. And yet, we have been saved from that. We are now new creations in Christ. We go back to Ephesians 4, verse 20 through 24. But this is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you've heard him, and the, most ESV has the word about, that word about really is not in the Greek text. 
assuming that you have heard him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and, to, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So, we are, this is who we used to be, verses 17 through 19, 20 through 24 is this is now who we are if we have learned Christ. Notice that our new identity comes because we learned about a person. This is not just some principles that we're learning. This is not just character qualities we're looking after. This is a person. It says, but you did not learn Christ. This is very unusual language. This is the only time in the Greek that we ever understand this um, this idea. Christianity is all about knowing a living person, Jesus Christ. The phrase to learn a person appears nowhere else in the Bible and to date has not been traced anywhere else in pre-biblical Greek documents. A lot of times Paul would take a Greek thought and he would transform it and make it into a Christian thought. What we're hearing here is that there is nothing like that in the Greek language, this idea of knowing a person. Christianity is not just a set of principles. Christianity is not just a set of rules. Christianity is not just a way of life. Christianity, at its core, is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is really important for us because if all we see Christianity as being is rules and principles and regulations, that can all mask the person that we are to pursue, the person that we are to love. When you become a Christian, you do not merely learn about the teachings of Jesus. You develop a relationship with him. I wonder how many of us today have kind of let, let the rule, I'm not saying we don't follow God's law, but how many of us have been more concerned about the rules and regulations than we have about the relationship? If we have a relationship with Christ, obedience will naturally follow that. If it's just about the rules and the regulations, that eventually will wear us out and we won't become like him. Christianity is not about moral rule-keeping, religious attendance, having warm feelings at a religious event, merely believing in a God, doing good things, or knowing facts about Christ. It is about knowing Christ. And the question we need to ask ourselves today is, am I growing in my relationship with Jesus or am I just following some prescribed rules and regulations that I picked up? John 17, 3 says this, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Jesus says you search the scriptures looking for salvation, but you don't realize that the scriptures speak about me. All of this points to me. This is all about a relationship with me. <clears throat> God's just not an eternal rule maker and enforcer. 
He is a personal deity in three. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit who have had this incredible fellowship from eternity past. And they desire, and he was in the garden with Adam, walking with Adam in the cool of the evening and fellowshipping with him. There was a relationship that was there. And sin obviously has ruined that. And it was the cross of Christ who restored that. But is our Christianity just keeping some rules and making sure we read the Bible? Why are we reading the Bible? It should be to know him. My last year with Athletes in Action, I lived in San Diego. And Lori and I were in a relationship and she was in Fort Worth. And we didn't have unlimited minutes and we were restricted by how much we were on the phone. It was always a nice little bill whenever we were on the phone. So we wrote a lot of letters. Why did I read her letters? Because I was supposed to. In order to have a good relationship, you must read everyone's letter. No, it was I wanted to read the letter. Why? Because it told me who she was. I grew in understanding who she was as I read her letters. And I would read them over and over and over and over. And I still have those letters. We read this book to know him. And if we get cut short on that, we are not going to fully become who he is, are we? Do you find yourself in your relationship with people, you become kind of like they are? Have you you noticed that? You hang around people and you you pick up certain things. You watch them and you watch how they do things. and And you sometimes adopt those things or you adopt the way they speak. Everybody makes jokes of me when I'm talking with a Hispanic group of people. I took my little English on my little, my little, my little Spanish accent and I think I'm speaking Spanish, but I'm really not, you know? But we should be so much in the word with Jesus that there's a relationship there. And prayer is talking to him and communing with him and worshiping him and enjoying being with him. There's nothing more that burns out a quiet time than than losing sight of what the purpose of it is. The purpose is to know him and to draw closer to him. And we've been given four books in the Bible that are all about his life. Four. I mean, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We can always, every week, spend time in those books to see and grow in our understanding of who he is and to grow in our relationship with him. In Philippians 3, Paul talks about his incredible privilege as a Jew. And he goes through this laundry list that he was circumcised on the eighth day and he was a Pharisee of Pharisees and he was legalistic in his righteousness and he was all these things. And he said, what? That's all rubbish. I'll give all of it away to know Christ. Philippians 3, 10, he said this. Exodus starts, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Verse 9, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Paul had this incredible passion 
to know Christ. He wasn't just he wasn't working his way to heaven. He wasn't doing a bunch of good works so he could get to heaven. Heaven was already given to him because of Christ's sacrifice. He had a passion to know Christ. Today, do we have a passion to know him? Or has our passion kind of waned away? We've kind of lost our first love and we're kind of just grinding out the Christian life, going through the rules and the regulations that we think are going to help us be a successful Christian. It is very personal. And children, your parents can't give you Christ. Their faith is not going to be good enough for you. It's not an umbrella, it's not an umbrella plan here where mom and dad's faith covers everybody else. Each of you will have to make your own decision regarding Christ and a commitment to him. <clears throat> Some of us like the little girl who was going to get a swine flu shot. And the nurse asked, which arm would you, would you like it in, sweetie? And the little girl answered, in my mommy's arm. Mommy can't take your shot, and she can't believe for you either. It's important for us to know him personally. A lot of times as children, we're growing up in a Christian home and we're just kind of by osmosis kind of going along with everything. There comes a point where you have to decide, are you going to follow Jesus? Are you going to repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in Christ? And sometimes we find that our kids haven't done that. And they follow after the world. You will not be saved by having the shot put in mommy's arm. You'll be, you'll be saved by trusting in Christ alone. He tells us here in this passage, so in verse 20, he tells us that we're part of the school of Jesus. Let's go back to Ephesians. But this is not the way you learned Christ. That's what our education is, knowing him, growing in relationship with him. Men are always told to, to know your wives, grow to know your wives. The same is true for us, grow to know Jesus and learn who he is. Assuming that you have heard about him or have heard him and were taught in him. So Jesus is the context of this knowledge. He is the truth as the truth is in Jesus our, <clears throat> our lack of understanding, our darkening of that, all is changed when we come to know Christ. Christ becomes our subject. He becomes the context in which we learn. He becomes the truth that we learn. And everything else is connected to him and, and who he is. Secondly, we're told to put off and in, in begin to live out this new identity. We're told to put off our old self. Now notice his words here. Put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life. There's kind of a teaching out there that, you know, we read the Old Testament and our righteousness is filthy rags and, and we're, we're a worm and we have all these things and, we, and that we're dis, desperately wicked and our heart is deceitful. Those are descriptions, brothers and sisters, of unbelievers. 
Not to say we can't have some of those tendencies. But as new creations in Christ, those things should be changing. We had a really excellent study last time in in, uh, the book, Holy in Your Holiness. In chapter 5, he talked about the fact that God is pleased with our imperfect obedience. Sometimes we feel like we kind of live in the past. I'm, I'm, I don't love God. I hate God. I, I just love sin. I, this is who I am. And, I, and I, I'm thankful that God's forgiven me and I'm grateful for that. But I really don't have any hope of what getting any better, right? We need to understand that this passage tells us that this was who we were. Going back to Ephesians 2, you were by nature children of wrath. You were this, this, and this. We are someone different now. Does it mean we don't sin? No, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is we have, a, we have the Spirit of God living within us. And God, his standard for being in his kingdom is perfection. We couldn't reach that, right? That's why Jesus had to die. He paid the perfect price that we could be in him. But God knows that our, all of our obedience is not going to be perfect. Everything we do for God, there's always some taint of pride or selfishness or something in that. Or our prayers. We never pray the perfect prayer. We never do the perfect righteousness. But the reality is that we begin to live out this life and we begin to change. And even though our obedience isn't perfect, it pleases the Lord. And I think some of us need to hear that, is that even though it's not perfect, well, I could have done that. Well, yes, you could have done more, absolutely. And you need to strive for more. But the reality is, because you're now Christ, and you now have his heart, and your mind is being transformed, husbands can love their wives as Christ loved the church. Husbands can lay down their life for their family. Moms can serve and love their children and love their husband. Not perfectly, but they can, and that pleases the Lord. It's kind of like, you know, when I was, when I was mowing the grass, I, my kids would want to come help me. And um, I remember Josh, he had a little bubble mower. He didn't do a great job cutting the grass, but it made a lot of bubbles. So I'd be out there mowing the grass, and I'm telling you, as soon as I got out there, he was out there with the bubble mower, And he was going around right behind me and bubbles were coming out of it. And he was just going along and I was going along. It was a really special time. But I could have said, you know what? You're not really cutting the grass. You're not really, you know, there's nothing going on here. Or or even if he did cut the grass, well, you missed a spot here. I think we need to understand that while God's standard is perfection, and it can only be met in Jesus, and it was met in Jesus, praise God, that as we live our lives, we can take joy in our imperfect obedience and know that it brings pleasure to the Lord. I don't know about you, but I've worked for people sometimes where nothing ever pleased them. No matter what I did, unless it was absolutely perfect, it never pleased them. Our Father's not that way. As you live your life, As you live in imperfect obedience, 
He's pleased. Is he pleased with sin? No. And we need to repent of our sin, right? But as we seek to emulate him and walk with him, there is pleasure that he receives as we are becoming like his son. So we have this new identity and we have been changed. And he tells us here again that this is your former manner of life. And it was corrupted through what? Your deceitful desires. We know in 1 John that we still sin, so we're not saying that a person becomes perfect. We're not saying that. So please hear me on that. But what we are saying is there should be progression toward what? Becoming like Jesus. We know we won't arrive until until we see him as he is. But we should rejoice. A lot of us are like this, though. You know, we had three weeks where we we didn't blow our cool in sin and anger. And then we have a time when we do that. Well, now that's the only thing we focus on. Should we? Yes, we need to ask forgiveness for that and deal with it. But a lot of times we don't ever thank the Lord and rejoice in the fact that he gave us three weeks where we were free from something that we had been in bondage to for years. Every day as you live for Jesus, and this is not about praising you for what you do, it's praising him for the changes he is making in you. It all goes back to him. It all goes back to his glory and his honor and his praise. In Colossians 3, 8 through 10, we just read that earlier. He talks about putting off the old and putting on the new. And John Stott says this, it's because we have already put off our old nature in that decisive act of repentance called conversion that we can logically be commanded to put all away all these practices which belong to that old rejected life. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we're given the righteous robe of Christ. We still got a closet of clothes that we used to wear. And we have to start doing what? Calling them out. That's called sanctification. Have you ever had one vehicle, then you bought another vehicle, and you had stuff in the garage from the other vehicle that doesn't fit this new vehicle? You know, the jack doesn't work, and, and this fluid doesn't go there, and, and this filter won't work on that. You have to do what with that? You have to get rid of it, because now you have a new vehicle, and the old stuff doesn't fit on the old vehicle. All of us were met by Christ as an old, dilapidated house in our neighborhood. We were under the control of Satan. We, the effects of sin was all over our lives. The paint was coming off the walls. The sheetrock was coming down off the ceilings. Had old wallpaper. The roof was leaking. And Jesus looked and said, I want that one. And he purchased you. And when he purchased you, you know what? You look just like you did before he purchased you. But because Jesus was going to come and live inside you, and he did, now he's beginning to do the work within us, isn't he? And we're to put off the old, put on the new. And he comes into the bathroom and he pulls out all the old tile. And he pulls out all the old fixtures. He pulls out all the flooring. And he begins to replace them. 
And he goes room to room just pulling stuff out by, by his power, by the grace of... Because again, if, he's, if he comes in, if he's yours, if you're his, if you belong to him, you will not stay the way you used to be. You will not. The language you used to use will change. The thoughts you used to have are going to change. The things you didn't do, you should have done, are going to change. The things you shouldn't have done, you're going to stop doing. And he is going to begin to transform you to where when people drive into the neighborhood and see you as the house, they're going to go, that has really changed. That house isn't what it used to be. It is completely different. But it's not a matter of us just doing that on our own. There has to be the Spirit of God coming to live inside us. It's his working in us that begins to make that change. A pastor tells the story of adopting four children in Ukraine. He said, after spending about 35 days in Ukraine in an effort to adopt our four children, my wife and I finally had permission to go home with them. All of the legal work was done. We were eager to show them love in many ways, including cleaning them up and giving them some new clothes. They had been wearing the same smelly clothes and the same worn-out shoes every day since we arrived. Once we had permission to leave, we bought them some brand new outfits. My wife took the older two children and I took the younger two. I told, I told the girls to an interpreter, girls, we're going home. And little Victoria asked, forever? And I said, yes, forever. Their faces lit up as, as, as I then gave them their denim dresses, socks, shirts, and more. They went to the bathroom and changed every garment. In their orphanage, upon leaving, the children had to leave behind every piece of clothing that they had been wearing. What a picture of the gospel. You and I were orphans. Christ paid for us by his blood. He adopted us into his family. He gave us his robe of righteousness. And we are to leave the old orphanage clothes behind and continue to put on what God has given us, becoming more and more and more into his image. They put off their old orphanage garments and put on the clothes from their adoptive parents. New clothes, new identity, new home, new security, and a new way to live. It all starts with knowing who you are in Christ. Satan will accuse you every time you sin that you're no different than you used to be. And you're going to have to hold on to Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 2 and Philippians 3 and the scriptures that remind, and 2 Corinthians 5 that we are what? New creations in Christ. We are new creations in Christ. We are on the upward highway, moving toward glory. Are we going to be perfect? No. Are we going to still battle sin? Yes. 
But the good news is that we have the king living inside us. And he loves us and wants us to know him and to grow in that relationship. And he loves you more than you know. And he's pleased as you take your little bubble more and and seek to follow him in obedience. He is pleased with that. He loves you. He's in the process of making you into the very image of his son. And the great thing is like this dad who came to Ukraine to get his parents. He's coming to take us home to be with him forever. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you so much for your word that tells us who we are. It tells us who you are and what great things you've done for us. And Father, I pray for the children here, Lord, that they would realize that they have to commit their life to Christ on their own. It has to be their faith, their repentance. It can't just be because they belong to mommy and daddy. Father, I pray that you would stir their hearts, that they might, if they are believers, grow in their relationship with him, and if not, that they would put their faith and trust in Christ. Father, for all of us here, that we would be reminded daily that we are yours, that we've been purchased with the precious blood of Christ, that we've been adopted into your family, that you have given us your righteousness, and now you've called us to begin to put away the other things that used to be who we were. Father, help us to zealously pursue putting those away and walking in righteousness with you. And Father, may we rejoice daily in the little victories that you bring and give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. And Father, as we see this world around us growing darker and darker and darker, Father, may we rejoice that we belong to you and may we see people in this world that we can reach out to with the hand of the gospel and tell them that there is another daddy who loves them and died for them. And Lord, that they might be changed and become new creations in Christ as well. Father, we have great hope and we're grateful for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.